The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Lord be on my mind, be on my lips, and in my heart. Tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to listen to Jesus. But the Pharisees and the scribes began to complain, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So to them, Jesus addressed this parable. A man had two sons, and the younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of your estate that should come to me. So the father divided the property between them. After a few days, the younger son collected all his belongings and set off to a distant country where he squandered his inheritance on a life of dissipation. When he had freely spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he found himself in dire need. So he hired himself out to one of the local citizens who sent him to his farm to tend the swine. And he longed to eat the fill of the pods on which the swine fed, but nobody gave him any. Coming to his senses, he thought, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food to eat? But here I am, dying from hunger. I shall get up and go to my father. And I shall say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as you would treat one of your hired workers. So he got up and went back to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father caught sight of him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But his father ordered his servants, quick, bring the finest robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Take the fatted calf and slaughter it. Then let us celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and has been found. Then the celebration began. Now the older son had been out in the field. And on his way back, as he neared the house, he heard the sound of music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what this might be. The servant said to him, Your brother has returned. And your father has slaughtered the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. He became angry. And when he refused to enter the house, his father came out, 
and pleaded with him. And he said to his father in reply, Look, all these years I served you, and not once did I disobey your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat to feast on with my friends. But when your son returns, who swallowed up your property with prostitutes, for him you slaughter the fatted calf, and he said to him, My son, you are here with me always. Everything I have is yours. But now we must celebrate and rejoice because your brother was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of the Lord. Isn't this parable one of the masterpieces of the gospel? So beautiful, so profound, and so many times in my pastoral work, talking to people who have done things that they feel really bad about and have come back to God and asked for forgiveness, this parable is a powerful image of how much it pleases God. See, the youngest son is a great sinner. Jesus is inventing this parable to make a point. And he creates this younger son to be, according to the Jewish customs, the greatest of sinners. One of the greatest commandments for the Hebrew people was to honor your father and mother. This son says basically to his father, I wish you were dead. Just give me the money and I'm out of here. And then he leaves the country. And then he leaves the religion, which is the implication of tending the swine. And he never really fully seems to recognize the wrong he's done, right? He only wants to come back to the Father because he's hungry. And so he thinks about what he'll say, but he does come back. And in the Jewish tradition or customs, the Father, knowing how wrong the child was, would have been expected to stay in the house and make that son come and get down on his knees and beg for forgiveness. This father doesn't do that, right? This father runs to him, filled with compassion. And the son starts to say the rehearsed apology, but before he even finishes, the father interrupts him, embraces him, kisses him, says, give him this beautiful coat, put a ring on his finger, sandals on the feet, kill the fatted calf, for we must have a party and rejoice. The message is powerful, that no matter what we have done, we can always come back to God and he will forgive us. And it fills him with joy. 
And he doesn't wait till we have the perfect confession. He doesn't wait till we're fully aware of all the things we've done wrong. Just taking a step in the right direction, he comes and embraces us. And by his love and forgiveness, we are able to enter into his joy fully and completely. Our God loves us that much. And so no matter what we may have done, how unworthy we may feel, God is just waiting for us to take one step in his direction. As beautiful as that is, that's really not what this parable is most about. See, it begins that Jesus is ministering and tax collectors and sinners are coming to him, but the Pharisees, the religious people, object. And then it says, so to them he tells this parable. The older son in this passage represents the religious people. Maybe people like me. Maybe people like you. But it's an important lesson. And I ask you rhetorically, you don't have to answer, but could it be that a good Catholic who goes to church regularly, even every day, who prays the rosary, who does works of mercy, may not go to heaven? You're answering. Praise the Lord. The implication is maybe. And the reason is because this older son was not able to accept that his younger son was reconciled and his father threw a party for him. One of our friars, Father Jude Rinkler, a preacher that we have, it's come to this church, you may know him. He has a beautiful way of talking about this. And he says, imagine we die and go to heaven. And St. Peter meets us at the pearly gates. And he says, welcome, come on in. And we look over his shoulder. And we see our enemies in there. Now, he brings up some names to bring it home, but he's an older guy, so I have to update some of the names. Say we look over his shoulder and we see President Biden or Donald Trump or Tucker Carlson or Rachel Maddock. A Jew, a Muslim, gay, transgender, someone who's a liberal, conservative, tattoos, body piercings, the list goes on, right? Whatever pushes your buttons, would we be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven and reconcile and embrace those people? And if we can't, we will not enter. Or maybe there's some names that may not be someone I can name. Maybe there's somebody in your life that's really hurt you. Or someone that's really divided the family, even maybe over the inheritance. 
Can we forgive them? And this gospel passage suggests that if we don't, no matter how good we've been, we will not enter the kingdom of God and enter the Master's joy. You see, of all the things that Jesus preaches and teaches in the gospel, if you count them up, you will find, and tell me if I'm wrong if you do the research, that one of the things he commands the most is that we forgive others, even our enemies. And this is the reason. Because if they're reconciled to God in the end, beyond our knowledge, we're going to have to reconcile with them in order to be saved. And if we can't reconcile with them now, what's to make us think we're going to be able to reconcile with them in the future? We must forgive others. And we forgive not for their sake, because without our forgiveness, they can still be forgiven by God. And we forgive not for God's sake, for he doesn't need our forgiveness. His forgiveness saves them. But we forgive for our sake, because it will prevent us from entering into God's joy, not only in the future, but even now, because you know as well as I, if we examine, I do examine my life, that those anger, resentment, judgmentalism, those eat me up. They kill me more than anything else. And I must let it go. I must forgive. And of all the things people tell me, the hardest thing to do is to forgive, especially someone who really hurt, or especially myself. But sometimes we misunderstand what it means to forgive. We think we can't because we don't feel like it. But Jesus says, don't feel like it. Jesus says, do it. I'm an engineer, sometimes I'm not too emotional. It's easier for me to say, perhaps. But we can, even if it doesn't feel right, say the words. And in a prayer, we can say, Lord Jesus, you commanded me to forgive others. And so, I forgive so-and-so, even though I don't feel like it. Because you commanded, because you died for them because you died for me, because you forgave me, and because you commanded I forgive others. We can do that, no matter how hard that feels. We can also say, Lord, it doesn't feel sincere what I'm saying, but I'm doing it because it's one step that I can do in the right direction, and I know that you'll meet me. And by your love, help me one day feel like I can forgive. You see, when we fail to forgive, not only does it hurt us, but it really puts us in the place of God. Right? It's God's job to, commit, to condemn, to forgive. And when we do that, by failing to forgive another, we put ourselves in the place of God. It's blasphemy. It's pride. And to forgive another person simply means that, Lord, I give them to you. You're the judge of right and wrong. You are their savior. You do with them what you wish. I'm going to let it go and follow you to the best of my ability.
That's what forgiveness ultimately means. Not taking the place of God and giving the other person to God in his mercy and his judgment. And so, this passage has a position for all of us. It's a beautiful story between God and the sinner. But it's also an important story for us who consider ourselves religious. We must forgive one another. Finally, there is one other beautiful part of this passage. That oldest son who was unable to forgive another one of his sins is he failed, like St. Paul says in that second reading, to be an ambassador for Christ, to be a minister of reconciliation. You see, the ideal response of that religious person would have been to know how hurt the father is by this son and how lost the son is, missing out on the unity of the family. And they would have gone to the son and said, come back. Our father misses you. I miss you. And so we must forgive others, but we are also called to be ambassadors of reconciliation, to be an instrument of peace and forgiveness in our families and in our world so that we all may enter into the joy of our Father.